Hey, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Vista Community Church, uh, aka my family room, for obvious reasons. Uh, we're not in the church building uh, this week and maybe into the foreseeable future. Nonetheless, whether you're coming to us from uh, around Columbus, Central Ohio, uh, some other state, or even across the ocean, we, we couldn't be more privileged to have this opportunity to be connected in the midst of all of the disconnection. Um, if you could do us a favor, me a favor, it would be this. Find some way to uh, reach out and connect. We'd love to be in dialogue with you, in communication with you, particularly those of you that are doing essential work right now. You're in a particularly vulnerable space. We would love to find ways to support you, encourage you, uh, come alongside in whatever way we can um, you are doing, as it says, essential work, and uh, we recognize that. Uh, beyond that, any of you that would feel comfortable, we, we, again, we would love to be, find some way to be in, in contact with you. Uh, hey, uh, Pastor Tammy's going to step in here in just a second and uh, lead us in some worship. Um, I'll come back and, and, and do a message, and then we'll finish up with some informational pieces that might be helpful to you. Um, let me just say this. It, I, I'm not expressing any you know, great sage wisdom here. These are hard times. For some of you, excruciatingly hard times, challenging times. And at the, at the risk of um, pressing those of you that are waiting for a quick resolution uh, closer to the edge of sanity, uh, it's going to be a while before it's going to get better. It really, it, it just is. Uh, but here's the good news. We have a great, great God. Well, we have a God who is not surprised by any of this. He's, not un, he's, he's unmoved by it. He is unchanging above it. He's in control of all things. What he has planned, his end will always become what it was supposed to be. It will happen. It won't be quenched. It won't be thwarted. We have a great God. Uh, that really goes without saying. What kind of a God isn't a great God? And the God must be the one who's in control of all things. That's the God we believe in. Let me encourage you during this worship time to recalibrate your mind, to posture yourself in such a way that you remember the truth about the God that we love, the God that we serve, the God who loves us. Uh, remember those truths, um, because in the midst of all this, that's what matters most. Hey, let me ask you a question. Kids as well. Kids, I'm so glad you're here. Um, let me ask you all a question. Would you like to be different in some way? Is there anything about you that you wish was better? Is there anything that you would want to change about yourself? Do you ever wonder if you could be uh, more extroverted, uh, more kind, more peaceful, do you ever desire to be uh, less messy, um, less argumentative, less impatient, more humble? Have you ever imagined being more bold about your faith, more confident in relationships, less fearful about the future, less talkative, less passive, less jealous about your friends, more joyful, more thankful, more helpful, more trustworthy? Do you ever want to be different? Do you have, some, do you have things you want to change? 
Maybe you've given up on change altogether. You've just had way too many disappointments in your life, way too many New Year's resolutions. You can't change and you just become completely cynical and you don't want to change. Well, here's the bad news. <laughs> it's been scientifically demonstrated that change is nearly impossible. That people are unconsciously, if not stubbornly, who they've always been. Dictated by what's happened in the future. That habits and thoughts and actions are so ingrained that they're often only ever changed through pain or threat of death. And even then, only about 10% of people will change. Even in the face of crisis, people don't change. At most, when this whole thing is over, only a few of us will have changed for the better. It's, it's really, really hard to change. Here's the good news. Ready? You want some good news? Here's the good news. This whole COVID-19 thing might be, could possibly be, the best opportunity of your entire life to make significant life changes. This thing is going to end. At some point, it's going to end. And everything's going to be different, wildly different in some cases, including you. Have you thought about that? This thing is changing us. It's changing our nation. It's changing our world. It's changing you. It's going to change you. But it's entirely up to you which way you change. There's, there's always two paths you can choose. Let me read a quote from C.S. Lewis. It's been popularized over the years. You've probably heard bits and pieces of it. Uh, this is what C.S. Lewis says. Every time you make a choice, you're turning the central part of you, the part that chooses, into something a little different than what it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all of your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing into a heavenly creature or a, for the sake of the kids, a non-heavenly creature, right? Either into a creature that is in harmony with God or else into one that is in a state of war with God. That's C.S. Lewis. Here's my hope this morning. This is, this is what I'm, I just put it out there for you. This is what I hope happens. I hope that somehow this morning you're inspired in a heavenly direction, in a heavenly direction of change. And I hope to offer you a few tools to maybe facilitate that end. Here's where we're going to start. In the same place that we've camped for the last few weeks, John chapter 16. This week in verse 31, and I'm only going to end up covering three verses and it starts this way with a question from Jesus. This is John 16, chapter 16. Jesus says, do you now believe? Which is interesting in the context because the, the disciples have just stated that they believe, that they get it. And Jesus says, do you? Really? Because he says, because a time is coming, in fact, it has come, and you're going to scatter each to your own home, and you're going to leave me alone. I'm not alone because I have the Father. 
And he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. If you permit me, I'd like to paraphrase that. This is, this is how I would say what Jesus just said. I've told you many things, and if you believe in me, you can enjoy my presence and my peace, even more so in times of trouble, instead of scattering and separating and running away from me. Okay, for starters, do I need to point out the irony of the timing of these verses that we planned for months ago? Are you kidding me? Being scattered each to their own homes? <laughs> That's haunting. We're facing, like I said, some challenges like none and other in our lifetime. And it's going to get worse. It, there's no sense holding your breath until this thing is over in the first weeks of April. It's far better to settle in, consider how to know God, how to leverage these times for the sake of eternity, for God's purposes, for your transformation, no matter how long it lasts. Because here's the reality. You can't read the Bible. You can't honestly read the Bible and discover anything other than this. God is completely comfortable putting his people through the ringer for their good and his glory. <laughs> as uncomfortable as that is, God is entirely comfortable making things difficult so that we will grow and he will be famous. God wants to change us. He does. He wants us to change us from a scattering, fearful bunch of people running away from Jesus and into a peaceful and purposeful band of believers. But that's going to require change. And it's going to require change predominantly about what we believe about Jesus. That's why Jesus says, do you really? If He's saying essentially, if you do believe, you will have peace. You won't run. You won't be fearful. But it depends on what we believe. Jesus says, do you believe? Because if you do, you will be changing for the better. Are you catching that? If you believe, you will be changing. Good, beautiful, lasting, deep change always begins with God. You can try, 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 try to change in this world, but if you don't have God, you're not going to change for the better. And that change with God begins with belief. When Jesus says to the disciples, do you really believe? He's not just saying, hey, I don't think you believe at all. Because they did believe more than they ever had. There was a lot that they believed. But he was saying, look, there's more for you to believe. The reason he knew that was because so much was yet to happen. This is before he was crucified, before he was resurrected, before he sent the Holy Spirit. So he said, listen, I know you believe, but there is so much more to believe. And the same is true for us. You might believe, but there's more. And if you can believe more deeply, you can change more deeply. So what's Jesus asking us to believe? Well, first of all, I, I think it's clear that he is saying, look, the, the, the key to, to change, it's, it's, maybe it's just back up. Here's what I'm trying to say. It, to change is not necessarily driven behaviorally. Jesus isn't saying behave differently in order to change. 
or change by behaving differently. This is pretty radical. Jesus is saying you can change by your believing in me. He's moving it from behavioral to belonging. He's saying, I'm, not, I'm asking you to believe, not in some behavioral change, but I want you to believe so that you will belong. Let me try to explain what I mean here. Jesus spent quite a bit of his time on earth, not so much, uh, his final, did I say final? His final time on earth, it's not so much recapping his teachings. Like in his final days, he, didn't, he wasn't trying to recap everything that he had taught, everything that he had asked people uh, uh, to think about and to do. He didn't say, I need you to believe all this stuff that I taught. That's not what he spent much of his time doing at the end. And certainly he did teach lots of truths, lots of stuff about godliness. But quite frankly, not much of it was new. And it wasn't, it's not all that sophisticated. I'm not trying to be irreverent here. It, 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 it all boiled down, even in Jesus' words, he said, look, all the teachings, if you just love God and love others. See, that, that's, that's not sophisticated. That's not hard. It, it, it might be challenging, but he's saying, look, all that I taught, just remember this, love God and love Jesus. He wasn't spending his time trying to recap all of his teachings. He spent lots, if not most, of his final opportunities inviting people to be with him, to believe in him. He finished his, earth, his earthly life saying things like this, remain in me, I will be with you, remember me, and that the Father and he and the disciples are to be one. Lots of belonging type of stuff, not behavioral type stuff. What Jesus is calling his people to believe is largely that he is eternal, like the Father, that he has no beginning and no end, and that your soul and my soul are meant to be commingled by the Spirit with the Father and the Son. This is, he's talking about radical. Jesus is saying that the Father is eternal. I am eternal, Jesus eternal, I'm sending the Spirit of God which is eternal, and I'm inviting you into this eternal space of belonging. One of the most fascinating things about Jesus is how he was simultaneously eternal and temporal. Right? Jesus, Jesus was before all things and after all things, and then somehow he's in the flesh in this world. Jesus came to make it clear, but better said, Jesus came to make God clear, and the finding of your place and my place with God clear. I'm making that entirely unclear, but here, here, Jesus came to make sure we knew who God was and how we are to be a part of God himself. God straddled heaven and earth in the flesh, in the form of Jesus for 30 years so that you could know God and be with him. That, that was the objective of Jesus. Imagine if, if you had the privilege of physically being in Jesus' presence, physically in the presence of a person who was straddling eternity and 
and, and the temporal space. What would that be like? That, that actually happened. He was actually here, and people were interacting with this eternal being in the flesh. Certainly, we'd have to have some level of humility to be in that space. But I'm sure we would be impressed by the content of his words. But it would be far more impactful, far more compelling to experience the power of God in that man. The power of God in Jesus, the power within him would have been far more compelling than any of the amazing content of his words. Are you with me with that? You understand what I'm saying? What would it be like to be in the presence of God in the flesh? There was a guy that, that, that served in multiple presidencies, uh, high-level cabinet positions named Brent Scowcroft. Um, and he, I think he was a national security advisor for George, George Bush Sr. He was in Reagan's cabinet. He was in Junior's cabinet too, I think, to some degree. But during the time with George Bush Sr., he had this little tactic that he would use when a young staffer would come into his office and complain about the president or whine about a policy or just express their displeasure for the way the president was speaking or deciding. And Brent, whose office was probably a few dozen feet from the Oval Office, would do this. He would say, hey, come with me. And they would walk down the office. He would go through the double doors into the Oval Office, right in front of the Resolute desk, right in front of the president, possibly the most powerful space on the planet, and say, uh, yes, sir, uh, this staffer has some things he'd like to say to you. And the president would, knew the tactic, and he would say, go ahead, young man. And the staffer would be like, you know, never mind. I'm, I, it's OK. Right? I don't know. Maybe you have a space that makes more sense to you in terms of where you can sense the power of it. Maybe there are people in your life that are very powerful people. Well, take that and multiply it by like a thousand, like 10,000. Imagine being with Jesus. Think about, think about God who created and sustains all things with his breath. And here he is in the flesh. Think of that poor Old Testament soul who unintentionally reached out and touched the Ark of the Covenant, which was not to be touched. It was known as the, the holding place of God, and he was instantly struck down by the power of God. Think about how Moses was commanded by God to remove his sandals in the vicinity of the burning bush, the bush that was burning but not burning. Consider how the presence of God parted the seas and how through the blowing of horns and walking in circles, God inconceivably, effortlessly brought down an impenetrable force, a fortress, rather. And then imagine having breakfast with the same God in the flesh, Jesus. That's what the disciples were doing. having breakfast with God, interacting with God. Jesus really did say crazy things like love your enemy. Good behavior doesn't count if your heart isn't in it. But what was most gripping about Jesus was just him. God in the flesh. Heaven on earth. That's what was most powerful in the presence of Jesus was 
He was God. You know, when the disciples were fishing with Jesus in the boat on the Sea of Galilee and the, and the squall, the storm swept up on them, a, a, a violent storm threatening to take their lives, the disciples were afraid, like anybody would be. Jesus was confused by that because I thought it had made it clear by then that he was God and they didn't have any reason to be afraid. So he, as normal, admonished them in their fears and lack of faith and then stood and very simply and quietly hushed the storm. And what happened to the disciples? They got more afraid. Yeah, because suddenly they realized, what? This, they, they, they became more fearful why? Because they were getting the full impact of this man was God in the flesh. Imagine what it must have been like, not simply to just hear a teaching, but to hear a teaching from God. I know some of you have the unfortunate reality in life to have never heard the affirmations um, of your father. Uh, affirmations of love or confirmations of accomplishment or success, it's been absent. And, and you know, I know you know, that although other people have told you they love you or they told you that you're valuable, none of that replaces what you can imagine would happen in your heart if you heard it from your father. We all live with this opportunity, not just to hear good teaching. Jesus wasn't just a moral guy with a great moral, you know, curriculum. He was God. He was telling us stuff that we probably should have already known, know how to, known how to live, ethics, but it was God speaking. That's why the people that were listening to him speak would say things like, he speaks with a certain authority. Yeah, that's what they were picking up. It's like they've heard these teachings before, but when he says it, it sounds more true, more real, and more emphatic. Why? Well, it's God speaking. Jesus did things only God could do. He calmed the storms. He altered biology. He, he raised people from the dead. He, he offered forgiveness. That was only for God to do. Jesus did these things. Imagine what that must have been like. He did crazy, unbelievable, inhumane, inhuman things, like uh, not overpowering or correcting his godless, arrogant accusers. He would be accused of things that he didn't do. He would be accused of things that they were doing, and he would let them win. Who can do that? Who does that? He denied himself the, the greatest offerings in the world, things like influence and self-sufficiency. That's the, the whole battle in the desert was, was, really, was really about Jesus declaring and showing himself to be God. Imagine what it must have been like to be with that kind of a person, a person unlike any other. Imagine what it must be like to be with God. How secure would that feel? How safe would that feel? 
how, 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 uh, how significantly would that reduce, if not eliminate, the kinds of fears that we have in our life? Imagine the kind of comfort that would come from being with God. And then realize this. Jesus is saying that you and I can have that. You and I can, can have what those disciples had with Jesus. If you believe. And Jesus is saying, and that's what matters. What matters in this life is that you're with me. That I'm with you. That the Father is with you. That you're with the Father. That we are one. That my presence is with you. That your presence is with me. That is what matters. Belonging to the Godhead is what matters. Jesus' radical last words of guidance for life aren't behavioral. They're about belonging. To remain in, to be one with, to remember him, to be indwelt by. And that's all comes about by believing that Jesus was who he said he was. That God is who Jesus said he was. And that in him, we find the place we truly belong. We find the place where real peace is. We find the place where real rest is. Listen to how Jesus prays for his disciples just a few verses after these that we're looking at right here. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, not just these disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me. Jesus is praying for those disciples that were with him and for us, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Father, through the world, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself, myself may be in them. <laughs> That's a lot of words, but it's all, you can feel it. It's all one thing. It's like, Jesus, I'm praying not only for these disciples to be with me and to see my glory, but I'm praying for all those that are going to believe because of their message that we can all be one, that, the, that we can all belong. If and when you believe, you end up with a deep sense of belonging, protection, provision, assurance, and peace. That's what you long for. That's what you need. That's what the world needs. That's what the, the change that changes, that's, that's the change that changes your whole life. 
COVID-19 has rocked our normalcy, our foundations. And that can be a good thing, because sometimes we need to rebuild our foundations. Sometimes it's a necessary thing. And it's really a privilege. In the midst of all the chaos and all the difficulty and all the pain, we have an opportunity to rebuild a foundation that enables us to believe more deeply and to find our way into the belonging that God offers us. I've got three things for you that I want to suggest that you do in order to believe more and to enjoy this space with God. Here we go. First, consistent times with God. Consistent times with God. I would suggest that every morning, as you're rolling out of bed, making your way into the first actions of your day, that you have a way that you can read a little bit of scripture, you can pray for a friend, and that you can um, uh, uh, say, say this prayer, right? Something along these lines where you prepare your day and posture your day. Okay, God, I'm yours, and, and this is your day. What I have is yours. Let me be a light that shines for you and a servant that works for you, right? Some kind of prayer that just says, I'm here for you. Bless me, you know, give me strength. Uh, read some scripture, pray for a friend, right? That, that's the kind of thing that, that, and then end your day. At the very least, roll out of bed, say a quick prayer for a friend, pray that God would guide you, read a little scripture. At the end of the day, something like this, well, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> that didn't go as well as I'd hoped, and rest in his mercy and his grace, and get a good night's sleep, and pray for a friend, and read a little scripture. At the very least, those things every day. Secondly, some kind of an authentic consideration of yourself in grace. So if first is consistent times with God, second is authentic considerations in grace. What I mean is humble reflections along with notations and verbal acknowledgments of you. You have to spend a little time going, hear my fears, God, write them out. Here are my griefs, say them to a friend. Here are my shortcomings, pray them to God. Here are my sins, my doubts, my attitudes, my actions. And do all of that within the grace and mercy of God in Jesus. Every day, be aware of who you are and how much you do need to change and do all that in the merciful space of God's grace for you. Without courageously, honestly, regularly facing where you are, you'll be stuck there. It will control you. Reflect on it. Authentically, genuinely, look at your own life. Write about it. Talk about it. Get it out. Finally, public expressions of belief. Public expressions of belief. Now, this is rather than expressions of knowledge, information, condemnation. <laughs> Instead of expressing those things, find simple, clear, honest, humble, non-defensive, even inexplicable words of belief about God and say them. Humble, clear, simple, honest, non-defensive, even inexplicable. That doesn't matter. True words about God and say them. Like these. I, this is just a couple. I thought off the top of my head. 
God is so good to me. Right? God is so good to me. What if someone says, ah, there's so much bad in the world. Okay? God is so good to me. And if you go further, you can tell him how he is good to you. You don't have to defend it. Just say it. I'm so thankful that God is in control. I can't tell you how much in today's world people want to hear that. They may want to argue with it. They might want to say, well, if he was in control, he wouldn't do this. But trust me, just saying what's true. I'm so thankful that God's in control. How do you argue with that? You don't have to defend it. Simple expressions of belief. I'm sure glad my eternal hope isn't dependent on my actions. What's a person going to do with that? Other than just, okay. Just, these are just humble public expressions of your belief. Without the Spirit of God, I wouldn't know my elbow from my acid reflux. <laughs> Parents, just you're welcome for that little heart attack right there. That was just for you. <laughs> I, without the Spirit of God, I wouldn't know up from down. Everything of lasting importance I've learned from the Bible. These are public, simple expressions that you could say. Jesus is the most amazing and powerful person I've ever known. Put no pressure on yourself to defend them, to be a theologian, to be a super Christian. Just make public expressions of belief. God will do the rest. You don't have to be super tremendous. Just have to be simply truthful. Okay, kids, I need your help. One more, one more time, okay? I need your help. Um, if you, if, here's a question for you. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Would you fly? Would you be invisible? Would you have great strength? X-ray vision? Pick your, pick your thing. What would be your greatest one? Or what would be the one you would want? Okay, now I want you to imagine something, okay? You're sitting with your brother or your sister, um, or sisters or brothers, or friends, if you don't, brothers or sisters, you got, you got a little group of friends there, brothers and sisters. Um, uh, there's a knock at the door, and your parent or your, whoever's there, your grandparents or the adults that you're with, they answer the door, and a very nice man comes in, and he's got some great news, and he says he's got a special gift, and, and you guys are just freaking out because you can tell it's going to be good. And then he points to your brother or your sister or your friend, one of them, not you, and he says, this one right here gets a superpower of their choice. And then he points to you and says, you get to keep being their brother or their sister or their friend. And you get to enjoy all of the great things that she or he does. How do you like that? You like that? You like that arrangement? No, we don't like that because we want the superpower. We want the trophy. We want to be the winner. We want to enjoy these great things. We even want to have powers, and we want to do great things for God. That's just what we want to do. We want to do great things. That's kind of built into us. But listen to what Jesus said. I've told you these things, all the stuff we just talked about, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus is compelling his disciples to believe more deeply, to belong more securely, not to become something amazing. Jesus wants them to believe and belong. 
He's not, he's not asking them to believe so that they can be amazing. Because here's the thing, he's amazing. I'm going to read to you from a commentary that captures this so well. If Jesus had said, have courage, I have overcome the world, and you can too, <laughs> that would be not very good news for us, quite honestly. That's like an athlete these days who wins the championship and says, if you can dream it, you can do it. And we're all thinking, no, I can't. I can't. I'm not as good as you. It actually creates more hopelessness. It doesn't do us any good when the top, the A student says, cheer up, I did really well, so can you. And we're thinking, no, I can't. It only makes the sense of hopelessness even sharper. If Jesus was simply one heroic man who achieved a superior life, if he was simply a stellar example of what we hope to be, then he has little value for us. We've tried to overcome the world, but we can't. And if Jesus' example is just superior humanity, it makes our inferiority more unbearable. But if Jesus is more than a human, if he is indeed the Son of God who overcame the world, not simply for his own sake, but for our sake as well, for all of humanity, if his victory is his in his life can become a victory that we get to enjoy, a victory extended to us when we embrace him in faith, then his triumph can be our triumph. What the great athlete who wins the big thing should say, other than if you dream it, you could do it. He could say, I can do it. Why don't you come be on my team? That, that's the best thing we can get. And that's what Jesus is saying. Come and belong to me. I have overcome the world. And then my stuff becomes your stuff. Abide in me and my victory is yours. This is the great departure of Christianity from every other religious faith. It does not simply set out an ideal or a moral code. It offers a means of achieving it. Christianity is the offer of God to live in his followers and achieve in them the victory demonstrated in his son. And in that indwelling, an indescribable peace will be ours, despite the fury and the foment of the world around us. Everything is changing, including you, but there are always two ways you can change, for the better or for the worse. We can deteriorate into one who points to self, wants to be popular, the one who gets the credit, the one who's jealous of others, the one who scatters from God in pursuit of what we want, or we can change into the one who trusts Jesus, who experiences the peace of Jesus, who points to Jesus, and ultimately one who brings fame and attention to God. Essentially, these difficult times can be your pathway, no matter how challenging or painful or how long they are, to become less, less, and less about yourself, less about fear, less about worry, less about vain pursuits, but to be a person of peace and contentment and hope. You get to choose. I hope you choose to believe in him Okay, kids, I need your help. Well, one more time, we're going to do communion. So uh, go wash your hands. So go wash it. Wait, come back. Come back. Don't wash your hands yet. Come here. Uh, I need to tell you what to do first. Okay, here's what, here's what you need to do. I need you to go get some communion elements. Okay, go. Go get some. Okay, wait, come back. Come back, come back, come back, come back. Come back. I need you to uh, wait. You're, you're going to do, you're going to wash your hands 
And then, okay, I said, go give me amounts. Here's what I need you to do. Wash your hands first, right? Always wash your hands right now, like a thousand times a day. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. And then I need you to go get um, some communion stuff for your parents. So go get like some Cheez-Its or some uh, goldfish or some crackers or something like that and a juice box. Just get a juice box and, uh, and something like that and, and, then, uh, and then come back here, okay? All right, so everybody like uh, pause your thing. Uh, adults, go get some crackers. Uh, if, you have, if, if you don't have kids getting communion elements right now, <laughs> go find some, it doesn't matter, find some crackers, uh, find some juice, maybe a wine cooler, it doesn't matter, little Dixie cups, set yourself up a little, little bit of bread, a little bit of wine, whatever it is, okay? Um, and then uh, come right back, so pause this. Okay, welcome back. Uh, kids, you're welcome to have communion with your parents. Um, they'll step you through it. If you have Jesus in your heart, um, this is a celebration of that. If you haven't taken that step of faith yet, I'm sure you're in that conversation with parents. There'll come a day where you can do that, and you might just want to hang out while we're doing the communion if that's the case. So um, here's the deal. Uh, Jesus had a choice. He had a choice. There's always two paths. Jesus had a choice, and he chose you over himself. He could have preserved his own life, but he didn't. He laid it down. His, his body was broken. His blood was shed so that you could be forgiven. I want to invite you to belong to the kingdom of God. I, I, I want to invite you into the first step of belonging to the Godhead, to this great mission of God. And it starts by you accepting the grace of God and the forgiveness of Jesus. If you've already taken that step, I want to invite you more deeply into the space of belonging. This is at the core of everything we believe, what Jesus has done. His body was broken for you. Take it, eat it, remember him. His blood was shed for you. Take it, drink it in Enjoy it. Be thankful and grateful for the grace of God. Love you. Thank you for being with us. God bless you.